0: You've worked hard and succeeded a lot in your life, so much so that you became focused only on your ambitious goals. But when you found yourself alone, in the middle of a foreign culture, heck, in the middle of the Amazon, no less, you realized that what you had previously thought of as a means to an end was actually real life, and you, you were in the middle of it. And this realization would change you forever. You're listening to 2233 a podcast of exchange stories.
1: When I was in Ecuador, I always had an answer to the first questions of small talk. In the United States, we say, what's your name? Where did you go to school? What's your job? as if any of those things matter. And more often than not, the people I meet where their job titles might seem more impressive, I don't particularly like them as a person, and the same applies the other way. And in Ecuador, nobody ever asked once where I went to school, they never asked what my majors were, and they couldn't have cared less what my plans were for the future, scholarships I'd applied for, this or that. Um, But instead, people were asking questions more about myself. In the sense of, well, what foods do you like to eat? There's a great restaurant that we should go to, or it turned into conversations about um, which political scholar do you like that we've read in class so far? What do you enjoy doing when you travel, or where do you stay? And asking questions about my family, questions that gave someone a more holistic picture of who I was, rather than some sort of title that I thought was um, that I thought was impressive. <laughs>
0: This week, going solo in the Amazon, learning to walk slow in a new culture, and a revelation in the Galapagos. Join us on a journey from Gothenburg, Nebraska, to Guayaquil, Ecuador, to learn that it's not what you do, it's who you are. It's 2233.
1: We report what happens in the United States, warts and all
0: exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call
1: cultural exchange. Uh, My name is Karlyn Deharsh. I'm from Gothenburg, Nebraska, but I went to school at Nebraska Wesleyan and studied abroad through the Benjamin A. Gilman International Scholarship to Ecuador in 2016. Currently I live in Washington, DC and work for the National League of Cities as their Associate of Strategic Partnerships, so building public-private partnerships between organizations and local governments. always considered myself as a first-generation college student to be sort of self-made. That sounds extremely harsh to think that I made myself into the person that I am and took advantage of opportunities that brought me to where I am when the reality is I had an amazing mother who studied abroad in high school. She was in South Africa the year Nelson Mandela walked out of prison. My mother from Gothenburg, Nebraska, got to be in South Africa, at one of the most pivotal moments in history, and was inspirational, and she always pushed me to apply for the things that I wanted to do and to work hard for the things that I wanted. My time in Ecuador, particularly when I was traveling alone, made me realize how much I relied on the people around me to prop me up and introduce me to people and opportunities, and without them, I would not like to see what I would have been like if I was really (laughs) self-made. The Gilman Scholarship was something brought to me by professors at my university at Nebraska-Wesley and because I am a first-generation college student and when they found out that I was a Spanish major, it was a no-brainer to connect me with a scholarship that could not only allow me to immerse myself in a Spanish-speaking culture and environment, but have it funded and paid for by the U.S. government, and it was a wonderful experience and opportunity because I, on the one hand, always envisioned myself serving in a diplomatic capacity for the U.S. government abroad and envisioned myself working in a multicultural atmosphere, and it permitted me to do all of those things. It was a journey of self-clarity and finding myself, which I didn't plan for it to be that way. Before my study abroad, I thought that I had to sort of chase extraordinary moments and extraordinary opportunities to be extraordinary. Um, I wanted to be a scholar, be an author, be recognized for something or another before I went abroad. And I assumed that study abroad was sort of a line item to doing that because all the people that I admired had studied abroad. And so I thought that Ecuador, the Benjamin Gilman Scholarship, that's the item for me to do what I want to do next and to get to the title that I want to have and the what I want to be. But then... After about two weeks in Ecuador of crying and (laughs) self-isolation, I found out that it wasn't a matter of what I wanted to be, but who I wanted to be. And that sounds extremely cliche, but it was about owning my story and coming to terms with the fact that I was out of my small pond, I was out of the environment in which I was you know, the best in my class. I got to be student body vice president. I got to be the best at everything I did in my small town and at my small campus. But when I studied abroad in Ecuador, I quickly realized that I didn't have that support group that always propped me up and let me be the best that I wanted to be in every facet of my personal and professional life. And so that forced me to evolve on my own. I actually was the only American exchange student at my university at Casa Grande in Guayaquil. Uh, there was 12 other exchange students from France, but they weren't very interested in traveling outside of the beach area. And so when I made my way toward the Amazon, it was either it was either by myself or not at all. And dove in head first and thought, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. And I was better off for it. After about two weeks, I decided to jump on a trip to the Amazon, which, looking back, I don't know if that was the best trip to do for my first time alone as a solo female traveler, but I did it. And I remember arriving to the Amazon and getting in a canoe, and we rode in a boat, which is a very generous term for what I rode in, for two hours. And once we arrived, we stayed in this hut with another family that lived in the Amazon rainforest. There was no running water, no electricity. I saw spiders that were so big that I almost lost my religion and decided that I was going to live there for 10 days. And the whole purpose of the trip was not to see how this community needed my assistance or to see how I could sort of make an imprint on these people's lives, but rather it was to live in a community of people who lived radically different from my own in an effort to preserve their culture and in an effort to preserve their lifestyle and their way of living. So for two weeks, I got to cook fish that I caught in the Amazon River and wrap it in leaves and put it over the fire. And I got to go on medicinal walks in the rainforest and got to live a life so completely different from my own that I started to capture the things that connected me to those people. It wasn't the fact that I had done impressive things or things that i thought were impressive and extraordinary in the united states it was we laughed about the same things and we cried over similar things and our worries were not necessarily the same thing but were of different degrees and it got me thinking that life was a lot more than the what and more about the who My time in the Amazon was extremely humbling, and I will admit that there was a bit of a complex when I arrived because I have been extremely fortunate in the way that I grew up, in the family that I was raised in, and um, the resources that I had access to, plain and simple. And so when I went, um to be quite candid and I'm a bit ashamed of this there was a savior mentality when I walked in saying well what do you need what can I do for you what are the things you wish you had but don't and the longer that I stayed with them and spoke with them I think that I selfishly took more from them than I could have ever given to them and that was because it was my journey of self discovery my study abroad isn't the singular moment in my life that changed me it was it was a compilation of a series of moments through my time in the Amazon and in Cajas National Park and in the Galapagos that led me to learning what my journey of self-discovery was and what owning my story looked like and so after um, after I left the Amazon and was on my two-hour boat ride back to the main land where I could find a road to get back home on I started thinking about if I would have asked them what they needed what they would have said because it was never something that was a part of the discussion and it was a really beautiful trip in the sense that i had 10 days to live with a family extremely different from me that didn't expect me to cook for them and didn't expect me to return any favors all that was required of me was to be a good sport essentially and enjoy my time with them and let them show me their alternatives to medicine in the rainforest and how we use certain plants in Western medicine, but then reversing it and showing me how they use it. So it was a beautiful thing. And so after I came back from my trip in the Amazon, I decided that I was going to continue on my journey and keep finding opportunities to move forward in Ecuador and figure out the who I was and the story that I wanted to be told about myself. And I had no one else around to tell me what that was going to look like, and so it was a great time to try and fail, if anything. Um, that led me to my second or third trip, I'm not sure, to Cajas National Park. I had never hiked before, I'm from the Great Plains, and so, I, I mean, a hill is um, a very generous term for what happens in Nebraska, but um, I decided I was going to hike a national park in Ecuador by myself. And I remember thinking, well, I've been to college, I can think critically, I can navigate a national park on my own and do an eight hour hike on my own and be just fine. Six hours into it, I realized I was weighing over my head it was getting extremely dark out. I started to see fewer trail markers and I started to get extremely scared because I had no food. I packed one water bottle thinking that it would be a quick six to eight hour hike and it would be a snap. I would read reviews online saying that it would be a good afternoon walk. <laughs> and then I decided that I was going to go back. So halfway through the hike, I wanted to retrace my steps. And I remembered there was a point that I was so full of, I want to say shame, in the person that I was leading up to my study abroad, thinking that this was supposed to be a line item to get where I wanted to be, and it turned into embracing the moment and being proud of the person that I was at that point in time, and recognizing the environment and the culture around me in order to appreciate the things that come after it. was a trip that I went on. I was in Cuenca for the weekend because it was typically safer than Guayaquil. I spent a lot of time there. I absolutely loved that city. It was nestled in the mountains a little bit, and there were so many smaller indigenous communities that you could go visit. And there was a day that I said, well, I'm going to go on this day-long trip to three different communities. One was known for Um, silver jewelry and another was known for textiles and scarves and things like that and so and another was for orchids because i remember it started right at the orchid right at the orchid farm i took the bus to the orchid farm thinking well surely there will be another bus that i just hop on and move to the next city and i remember feeling foreign because i got dropped off at the orchid farm did the tour it was lovely and then i went to the front desk and i said when when's the next bus and they said well what do you mean Apparently my bus driver only stopped because I asked him to, not because there's an actual bus stop. And I said, well, how do people get here? And they said, well, people normally ask the bus to stop and someone picks him up. And I said, well, so I said, where's the next town? And they said, it's only three or four miles up. Um, So in the rain, I got out and started walking along the highway and someone pulled over and asked if I wanted to ride into town. Every instinct told me no, but I did and I can't think of why. But he took me back into town and then offered to drive me around for the rest of the day. And it was a very bizarre experience because I remember to everybody else it seemed so obvious that the bus doesn't normally stop there and it seemed so obvious that I would plan to have someone pick me up, but at the same time it was also obvious to them that you'll find a way to get where you're going. Nobody was ever panicked for me. Nobody was ever trying to make accommodations for me. And in the United States, quite frankly, I was used to that. I was used to people going out of their way to make sure that I had the convenience of a cell phone charger so I could hail an Uber or a taxi or finding a way to get to the nearest bus stop when, or owning a car. And the reality was when I told them and they saw the panic on my face, they said, well, it's only three or four miles, you'll find your way back. And so in that moment, I really understood what it meant like to not be surrounded by instant gratification, but instead opening the next door for me to help myself. I think I was a little cocky. I'd been traveling by my own for a while. I had really improved on my Spanish, and oftentimes people thought my accent was Brazilian, so they assumed that I I was from the area, in a sense, and so I never felt extremely threatened. And then when I was in the ride, he took me along two different towns, and when we got to the last one, we had great conversation. The alarm started going off again, and, it turned into, well, my house is around the corner. And it turned into, what are your plans? I realized that you're alone. And the conversation became much more candid about why I was there and how long I had been there. And when that moment happened, we got to the, ne- we got to the final town and I said, well, if you'll let me out, I'm going to grab a quick bite of lunch, check out the store, see what I want to see, and we can meet back here in two hours. And I remember getting lunch I don't remember a single thing about that town except that I hopped on a bus and for 50 cents I got back to the next town and drove my bus all the way back to Cuenca. And that was the end of the story. But I think it was, again, another one of those moments in building my story that I had to figure out what my limitations were and how how easy it was for me to hop in the taxi with a complete unknown stranger, but then again, trust my instincts and realize when it had gone too far and when to take myself out of this situation. I stopped getting stressed and anxious when I missed the bus, and I stopped sprinting to the next bus or to the next mode of transportation to get to my destination. Um, there became a time where I essentially became less frightened, um, less frightened of the people around me and less frightened of the unfamiliar things around me, the look of the buildings, the streets, um, the look of the cars, even things just looked differently. And so after, after quite some time, um, I started, I walked a lot slower and I started looking at the people and the things around me. And if I missed my bus, I went over and bought plantain chips for 25 cents and waited for the next one. It became less overwhelming. Typically after school, I would want to go straight home and do my homework because it, it took me a little longer with, with everything in Spanish. But after a while, when my classmates started asking if I wanted to go listen to this politician speak, or that politician speak, or um, just attending events around town, it started turning into yes more than no, and it started turning into saying, or to accepting that I was in Ecuador and I got used to my schedule, and I was more comfortable letting myself go here or there and finding my way back home. I was going to the Galapagos alone. I got this amazing deal, this great round-trip ticket. I left school, and I was off. It is the longest roundabout way to get to the Galapagos. After a day's worth of traveling, I got on a bus to get to my final destination, and I sat next to a gentleman who was also traveling alone from the UK. And we struck up a conversation. I asked him why he was in Ecuador and, you know, what his plans were. And that's when the question of what do I want to be and who do I want to be popped back up in my mind because I distinctly remember him saying that he had been in Ecuador for two months working at a hostel to pay for his way to the Galapagos because he quit his corporate job in the U.K. He was 35, 40 years old, and he'd moved his way up the ladder in whatever company he lived in and had this great house, everything he could have ever wanted, and he just crashed and he sold everything he owned and decided that he was going to travel. And so he repositioned himself to be living abroad, working in hostels until he could save up enough money to move to the next place. And that's when I started thinking about my need to do extraordinary things, to be extraordinary before I studied abroad. And then I realized while being abroad, I got to do really extraordinary things. And while none of them might not be newsworthy or noteworthy in any sense, um, it was noteworthy in my life. And it, helped transform me into someone else and closer toward a person that was worth being a friend and being a family member and a great classmate and peer. And if I wouldn't have had that experience, I wouldn't have been able to come back and move to D.C. on my own and begin building a professional life here. He was sort of Carlin in 15 to 20 years, talking about what happens when you focus on the what and less on yourself. After having that conversation with him on the bus ride to my hostel, The next morning I woke up and I got to scuba dive with sharks and sea turtles and I had hiked my way through this beautiful pink salt lake and I got to see the finches and all the beautiful things that make the Galapagos Islands so renowned. And I remember there was a moment where I was all alone and sitting along the beach in the Galapagos and thinking toward the end of my trip like I'd done it. And I made it through the four months, I made it through the two weeks of self-isolation and crying, and I made it through the Amazon and went through an extreme journey of self-clarity and put myself through a lot more than I maybe should have, but in the end was able to find my way back. For the first month, I was just so happy to be back in Nebraska that I could hardly stand it. I'd been gone um, for too long and I'd experienced a lot emotionally that I needed to be home and I needed to see some familiar things. But um, there is a period of restlessness and there was a period where I didn't care so much about perfecting every paper I wrote and I didn't care so much about making sure that I performed as I had before I had studied abroad. Um, instead, I cared more about hanging out with friends, and I cared more about going and doing and seeing the things that I'd always wanted to see in Lincoln and Omaha, which, smaller cities, but we got a lot more going on than people realize it. <laughs> and it was taking more advantage of those opportunities that I wouldn't have done before, because I would have been too focused on the next thing to enjoy my time with my friends. And so I came back, and that restless period turned into an internship in Washington, D.C., my final semester, senior year, and the decision that this was the place that I want to be in. That's what happened.
0: This week, Carlin Dehar shared stories from her time as a Gilman Scholar in Ecuador. For more about the Gilman Scholarship and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233, and you can do so wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. And did you know that photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov 2233. Special thanks to Carlin this week for sharing her very personal stories with us. I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Scratcher and Sickle Dr. Volga by Blue Dot Sessions. Prismatone by Pottington Bear. Jungle Noon by the New York Jazz Quartet, and Marble Arch by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came. And the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Leus. Until next time.